Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Awesome. Well, are we ready to get into God's Word this morning? Amen. If you have a Bible, you turn with me to John chapter 12. Well, I've had this message on my heart for a few days, and it's been amazing how God already, through uh, the testimonies, through the visitors who are here, um, through the uh, the prophetic word that we had earlier, I think the Holy Spirit is clearly uh, speaking to us. Even the things that you've got um, coming up, programs, outreaches that you've got coming up over the next few weeks, I think that the Holy Spirit is, is really taking us in a real uh, clear direction, and that's what uh, I want to minister on this morning, and the title of my message this morning is this, Changing Rooms and Changing Regions. Changing Rooms, I think there it is, Changing Rooms and Changing Regions. You see, I believe passionately that we as the Church of Jesus Christ are called to bring change to the nations of the world. Amen? One person agrees. Anyone else? You see, many times we were known as Protestants. But I, I don't think that Jesus ever intended for the church just to be known as what we're protesting against. I think that God wants the church to be known as reformers. That we bring reformation, we bring transformation to the communities, to the towns, the villages, the cities, the regions, the nations that we're in. Amen? And to the nations of the world. You know, because we as a church, we have the answer, which is Jesus. You know, as Pastor Phil mentioned earlier on, the world seems to be getting darker. The world seems to be a scary place. But we as a church have the answer, which is the good news of Jesus. And the message of his kingdom. So no one else has the answers. You know, over the past few weeks in our nation, we've turned on the news each day, hoping for politicians, the people who should be, saying this is the direction, this is the answer for our country. But who knows, they don't have answers. You know, I'm sure you've been heartbroken, as I have, to, to look at the news reports from America the past few days and, and the people there who, who, who society should be looking towards to bring law and order and government. Now there's the suspicion there and hatred there and all kinds of and violence and all kinds of things that are, are tearing apart communities. But we as a church of Jesus, we have the message of hope. We have the message of transformation. We have the good news of the gospel. And we are called to bring that change. We are called to bring that transformation. We are the light of the world, Jesus said. We are the salt of the earth. We have a message that can change lives, can change communities, can change nations. And I want to look at these, these two things this morning about changing rooms. Now, by that, I don't mean, I think that was a reality show where they, they kind of made up people's houses. We're not, I'm not talking about that this morning. I'm talking about the ability to change atmospheres. The ability to change the rooms in your workplace, the rooms in your house, the rooms of your internal person. 
But not only can God change rooms, I believe he can also change regions. Because when I read the book of Acts, I read about cities being changed, regions being impacted by the gospel. I read about the the apostle Paul as he went from nation to nation and, and saw revival in city after city. I read about Philip, the evangelist, who he went to one place and it says the joy of the Lord came upon the city. I believe we're called still to impact cities. We're still called to impact regions. We're still called to impact nations. And we're going to look at two incredibly practical, incredibly simple, incredibly basic, but incredibly powerful tools that God has given us change rooms and to change regions. And the first one's found here in John chapter 12. And it says six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus's honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. What's this speaking about? It's speaking about worship. Here, Mary comes into the presence of Jesus and she takes this thing that's so valuable and so costly and so pricely and she pours it on the feet of Jesus. And who knows that right there is a beautiful picture of what true worship is. Because who knows that, that true worship is more than just kind of three fast songs, four slow songs. True worship is outpouring. True worship is when you, when you pour out all that you are, when all the love and the passion and the thankfulness that you have for Jesus on the inside of you You pour it out upon him. You see, love looks like outpouring. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, who poured out his life. He poured out his blood. He poured out everything that he had. You know, Jesus didn't just take a, when Jesus died on the cross, he just didn't take a a pin and prick his finger and just kind of spill one drop of blood. Who knows, he poured out all that he had. That was how much he loved me. That's how much he loved you. That's how much he loves the nations of the world. And our response to him is to pour out all that we are in love. To pour all that we are in worship. To pour all that we are in gratitude. That's what Mary did. She poured out her worship and her adoration at the feet of Jesus. And I love what it says. It says the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You see, the room was changed. The atmosphere of that room changed. There was a smell of worship. There was a smell of sacrifice. There was a smell of this beautiful aroma that was poured out upon Jesus. And the first tool that that God has given us to change rooms is worship. You see, worship... Is powerful. You know, it's sometimes I, I, it baffles me. I preach in, in different churches every week, all over the country, all over the world. 
And I have to say, and I, I'm not just saying this, that King's Church is a worshipping church. But it baffles me sometimes when you go to churches, and you, you, you're meeting with so-called spirit-filled Christians, and yet in worship, they look bored. They look apathetic. They're just going through the motions. Friends, do we realize that worship is a powerful thing? You know, in, in recent decades, there's been a real emphasis on, you know, uh, on music and excellence. And, you know, these days there's dozens and dozens, hundreds of worship albums you can buy and, and fantastic songs being uh, released all, every week all over the world. And I love all that stuff. And I wonder sometimes if in the midst of all that, we've lost the true power of worship. That it's more than songs, it's more than music, it's more than performance. It has the ability to change atmospheres. It has the ability to change rooms. Friends, I, I believe, I believe that even as we worship this morning, the houses on this street, we can change the atmosphere. You know, even on this street, you know, we don't know what's happening in the in people's houses. Who knows, there could be people that are, even now being lost, broken, abused, people who, who hate God, people who have other faiths, other religions. But how do we bring that change? Well, one powerful tool, I believe, is worship. So some of you right now, you may go, you may go, you may leave this place this morning. Uh, maybe some of you uh, in your home, you've got a husband or a, or a wife who doesn't know God. Maybe you've got kids who are rebellious. Maybe you've got a next door neighbor who's a bit of a pain in the neck. And you think, how do I just change the atmosphere? How do I just bring breakthrough? Friends, worship. You create that space in your house where you can just stick on a worship album and sing praises to God. You create that space where you can sing in tongues. You create that space where you can pour out worship on Jesus. And the fragrance, the aroma of that worship, it can change the room. It can change the atmosphere. Some of you know my brother Matthew, um, who him and his wife Becky run one by one, reaching out to orphans in Kenya. And I think he's coming, he's coming here to preach, isn't he, before the end of the year. I remember as teenagers, Matthew being rebellious, hating God, hating church. And I remember he used to come home after he'd been out drinking. And he was in the, the bedroom next to mine. And I'd stick on some, you know, this is the 90s, we'd stick on some darling check. Hill song, and you know, and him and my mom, they'd be, um, you know, they'd be arguing and shouting and, and rowing, and the louder the arguments got, the louder I cranked up that CD player. Uh, and later he told me, oh, I hated that music. I hated it when you were playing those songs. But you know what? It was the Spirit of God drawing him back, and God had His hand upon his life. And and when he came to a point of crisis in his life. He turned to Jesus. He turned to the church. He turned to what he knew was the answer. Friends, worship has the power. It has the power to change the rooms of your house. It has the power to change the offices in the place that you work. It has the power to change the street that you live in. That's the power of worship. The Bible says in Song of Songs, speaking prophetically of Jesus, your name is like perfume out. You know, there's something powerful that happens when we start to release the name of Jesus. 
when we just start to worship and pour out praises to him, it changes the atmosphere that a wonderful aroma is created. Probably the best example, New Testament I can think of, and you know it so well, of course, is when Paul and Silas are in prison. And it's midnight, and they're in the, you know, they're in the darkest dungeon in the prison. But what are they doing? Worshipping. Who knows that that is a true test of whether you're a worshipper? Because who knows it's easy to worship when everything's going well. It's easy to worship when the sun's shining. But when you've gone through a flogging, when you've gone through a beating, when you're in chains, it seems like there's no hope. And you can still declare the name of Jesus. That is true worship. And I love what happens that as they were worshipping, it says the presence of God came into that jail cell and the very foundations of the prison shook and their chains fell off. The doors flew open. And not only that, but even the other prisoners, their chains fell off as well. Not only did worship set them free, but it set the people around them free as well. That is the power of worship, to break chains, to open prison doors. And I love how the the, the captain of the guard comes running in and it says trembling with fear. Now, work with me here, but I can't imagine that the captain of a group of soldiers in charge of a prison is naturally going to be a very fearful person. He was probably a real tough guy. Yet he comes trembling with fear. You see, their worship caused the fear of God to come on this man. And what did he say? The first words come out of his lips. What can I do to be saved? Now, Peter had not done a gospel message. He'd not been handing out tracts. He'd not said, close your eyes and bow your heads and raise your hand. It was just, he'd not said anything. But just the power of worship had changed the atmosphere in that jail cell and brought freedom and brought salvation. Can somebody say amen? You see, the Bible tells us that he inhabits the praises of his people. That as we begin to praise, all that God is, is manifest. Healing, salvation, joy, freedom, peace, life, abundance, all these things are there wherever God can find a worshipping people. Who knows that every person carries an atmosphere. And your atmosphere changes the room, whether you know it or not. Have you ever been in a room and there's someone walked in who's just a miserable, always complaining, always negative, always moaning? Who knows? They have an effect on the atmosphere. Have you ever been in a, in a room and everyone's a little bit know, morose, England have just lost at the football or whatever. And suddenly someone who's so happy and joyful and bubbly comes, it, it lifts the atmosphere. Every person carries an atmosphere that affects the room they're in. You imagine what, what change we could bring if we just carried the manifest presence of God wherever we went. And how do we do that? Well, I believe powerfully that as we turn the affections of our hearts towards Jesus, God's presence comes. And as I just, as I, wherever I go, if I've just got a worship song bubbling in my spirit, if I'm just carrying that love and that passion for Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to be drawn to that. 
And I take God's presence wherever I go and it can bring change. It can bring transformation. I remember once, and I don't want to freak out any anybody who's not used to this kind of thing, but I just want to tell you a testimony, a story about the power of worship. And a number of years ago, many of you know uh, Nathan Morris missions and, and their, uh, their ministry. Well, a number of years ago, um, I went to Kenya, um, and Nathan was doing a crusade there. And, um, ne- and next to uh, the, the, the place where Nathan was doing uh, the crusade, there was a tent, and it was known as the demon tent. Because anyone who, uh, who was kind of manifesting evil spirits, they took them into that tent. And one night, I thought, I was a little bit curious. I thought, I'll go and see what's happening. Uh, so I went into this tent, and uh, there was this little girl there called Letty. Um, she, I'll never forget her. She was about 10, 11 years old. And she was on the floor kind of writhing around. And there were probably five or six grown men holding her down because she had this supernatural strength. I found out later that, that she'd been sick and her, and her mother had taken her to the witch doctors who put these curses over her life. And, and now she was uh, she was just bound by, by Satan. Well, I was just kind of watching and if I'm a little bit honest, a little bit kind of freaked out by it. But then I saw that, that some of these guys um, were, were kind of being a little bit over physical, trying to kind of hold her down, and they were actually hurting this little girl, and I kind of thought, you know, your heart kind of goes out, and I thought, you know, this isn't right, so I kind of went into the middle to kind of stop it, well, the next thing I know, everyone's kind of looking at me as if I'm the one who's going to sort this problem out, and I'm thinking, I've never seen anything like this before, so I thought, well, well, what would Jesus do? So I thought, this is what Jesus would do. So I, I looked at the little girl and said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out. Well, imagine my shock when the demon spoke to me through the little girl and said, there are nine of us and we're not going anywhere. Now I'm thinking, I've read the Bible. I can't remember that ever happening to, to Paul. I'm thinking, I'm sure this never happened to Smith Wigglesworth. What do I do here? Well, praise God, there were some people around me who were worshippers. And they just began to sing about the blood of Jesus. And they began to sing about the name of Jesus. I thought, I'll join in with that. So I was just singing in tongues. And and we we were, to be honest, we forgot about the little girl. We were just worshipping Jesus. Well, after a few minutes, the demon spoke back and said, Can you stop singing this song? I don't like it. Well, that kind of gave us a little bit of a hook and we thought we're on to something here. So we just carried on worshipping and praising God. And after some time, we saw every one of these evil spirits leave this little girl. And I remember the next night, coming running up to her, throwing her arms around her and saying, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. Friends, that is the power of worship. It brings freedom. It brings transformation. I learned that day that the devil hates our worship and that worship is the power that can bring transformation. I encourage you this morning, you are the temple of God and you can create a space in your house, in your place of work, wherever it is, a place of worship. And as you do, you attract the presence of the Holy Spirit and you can change rooms. You can change the atmosphere wherever you go. Can someone say amen? 
changing rooms now on to even bigger. Who believes we can change rooms? But who believes that we can change regions? We can change Cambridge. We can change this region. We can change the United Kingdom. And and I want to look at a, another story here um, in the Gospels. Um, turn to Luke chapter 8. You know, it would be so easy to, as an example of someone who changed regions, it would be so easy to look at a, look at Jesus himself or look at the Apostle Paul or, or tell you stories about great missionaries and great evangelists in the past. But I want to look this morning for a few moments at the most unlikely candidate to change a region. And it's found in Luke chapter 8. Verse 26, <clears throat> it says, They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. I'm going to come back to this man in the story in a moment. But the first thing I want us to see is the passion that Jesus had for the lost. You see, worship can change rooms, but witness can change regions. I'm so glad this morning that we're in a church that's passionate about mission, that is passionate about evangelism, that is passionate about the lost. Because I believe that those things are so dear to the heart of Jesus. And I want to tell us, friends, that they have to be dear to our heart as well. You see, the closer we get to God, the more of his heart is going to be on our hearts. What beats for his heart, what burns on his heart, is going to cause our heart to burn, going to cause our heart to beat. And one thing I know that God is passionate about is that people will be saved, that people will be reached, that people will be rescued out of darkness and brought into his kingdom. You see, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Have you ever thought that gates are not offensive? They're defensive. You never see gates kind of walking about, do you? Gates stand still and they're to, they're to keep things out. And Jesus described the kingdom of darkness as gates. We often have this idea that the, the devil is on the move. The devil is advancing. The devil is coming to take over the United Kingdom. But no, the picture here is of gates. And actually the church are the ones on the move. The church are the ones that are advancing on the gates of hell. And the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, means that those gates won't stand. 
Friends, we're called to advance. We're called to go to the lost. And if you actually read the, the context of this passage, because um, many times we take stories in the Gospels just by isolation, but actually sometimes there's power without reading the whole context. And it says that they arrived at this region of the Gerasenes. But do you know, they got there by boat. And it was on that journey that they'd gone through the storm. You know when Jesus was asleep in the boat and he stands up and he rebukes the wind and the waves? And it struck me that Jesus in his foreknowledge knew that he was going to go through a storm. That's why he was asleep. The storm didn't take him by surprise. Amen? And you read that story. He goes to this region just to reach that one man and set him free. And this thought struck me that Jesus was so passionate about rescuing that man that he was willing to go through wind and waves just to set him free. You know, if that was me, I wouldn't want to have anything to do with that guy. I'll be real honest with you. You know, a a Roman legion was between 500 and 1,000 men. Can you imagine someone possessed by a 1,000 demons? I mean, if I wouldn't be signing up to go on that evangelistic outing. But Jesus was so passionate about seeing this man set free that he was willing to go through a storm just to touch him. Friends, is that our passion this morning? That we will go through anything. We will go through the wind and the waves. We will get out of our comfort zone. We will get wet if it needs be. We'll, we'll be thrown backwards and forth if it needs be. But we just want to see people rescued by the power of Jesus. It says in, in Mark 16, you don't need to turn there. But it says, these signs will accompany those who believe in, my, believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Amen. You know, who knows as Pentecostal Christians, we love those verses. But I was reading these a few, that verse a few days ago and the Holy Spirit challenged me said, you want to cast out demons? I said, yeah. Well, how are you going to do that unless you're going to go to where the demons are? Do you want to pick up serpents? Yeah. Well, no, but (laughs) if you want me to, Lord, if that's part of the Great Commission, well, how are you going to do that unless you're willing to get into the snake pit? Do you want to heal the sick? Yeah. Then how are you going to do that unless you're going to get among the sick and the broken and the lost? It's so easy, isn't it, to sit in a room like this and say, we want to see Cambridge changed. We want to see revival come to the United Kingdom. But it's not going to happen by sat in a room. It's going to happen as we go and tell people what Jesus has done for us. It says in, in that verse in Mark, that as they went, God worked. Many times as a church, we want God to work, but we don't want to go. But it's only as we go that God will work. The go of the gospel. 
I ran our bonk, he says, God works with workers and moves with movers, but he doesn't sit with sitters. You see, church, before it was about meetings, it was about movement. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. If God's not moving in a region, it's because someone's not going. Love what William Booth, the foundation of the Salvation Army, said. I'm not waiting for a move of God. I am a move of God. Being a move of God wherever we go. Our church in, in Hull that, that we're a part of, we, um, we've been doing a series um, over the past few weeks on breakthrough. And all these people have been, you know, preaching that God is a God of breakthrough. And, you know, this morning, come and, and get your breakthrough. And, and, and a couple of weeks ago, it was my turn to preach as part of this series. And I felt God just challenged me to challenge the people to say, instead of asking for a breakthrough, why don't you be a breakthrough? He knows that there's people all around us who need breakthrough. And if we truly believe in the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God's kingdom in us, we can be a breakthrough wherever we go. Amen? So Jesus comes, and you know the story. The man is gloriously set free. So that's what Jesus can do. Amen? No matter how big your need, no matter how big your problem, Jesus is the answer. Jesus can bring you freedom this morning. But the end of the story says this in verse 38. <clears throat> the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus a dumb friend. Here's the amazing thing. We, we don't have time to read, to carry on reading. But those who know that story know that they end up chasing Jesus out of that region because they're scared of him. But sometime later, Jesus goes back to that region. And listen to this. When Jesus returns to that region after some time, it says that they bring the sick to him for him to heal them. What had changed in the spiritual climate of that region? Could it be that this one guy going into the towns, telling people what Jesus had done for him, had changed the atmosphere of that region? You see, it says town there, but in other gospels, it talks about the region. It talks about the Decapolis, which was actually ten towns. This guy went into these ten towns, into this region, and told everybody this simple story. I once was bound, but then Jesus set me free. And something happened. I studied this. One of those ten towns was Damascus. Damascus was a Gentile town. Jesus and, and the apostles didn't have a ministry to the Gentiles. It's focused purely on the Jews. But in the book of Acts, Saul of Tarsus is going to Damascus to put the believers in prison. How come there were believers in Damascus if Jesus never went there? This is only just a few early in the book of Acts. Could it be this guy? His story 
of what Jesus had done. His his witness changed the region. If worship can change rooms, witness, our evangelism, our just sharing the good news of Jesus, it has the power to change Cambridge. It has the power to change this region. It has the power to change our nation. I remember, and I want to close with two stories, and then we're just going to read one other verse from this passage. But I remember uh, in 2012, I went to Argentina for the first time. And something happened on that trip that, that really changed my life and ministry forever. We were in a city called Cordoba where, I'll be honest with you, we were suffering for Jesus. Not really. We were enjoying great steaks. And we were in this big church, staying in a great house. God was doing great things. God was moving in the meetings. And, and we, about halfway through the trip, we had a day off. <clears throat> and my friend Paul, who's a, an old missionary, he's in his kind of mid to late 60s now. He's from um, Florida in America. Um, he said, oh, we've got on this day off. Would you mind going to visit my friends in this town called Chankani? So I said, okay, well, I thought it was just, you know, 20 minutes down the road. Well, we were driving about four or five hours on the worst road I have ever been on in my life. He And he was driving so fast. At one point, we hit a brick in the road, and the bottom of the car fell off. And he tied it back together with some shoelaces and carried on going. At the end of this road, we came to a mountain. And he, we went up and down this mountain. There were no barriers on the side of the road. It was just a, a just a, a drop. And he was driving about 60, 70 miles an hour just without a care in the world. I, I was praying in tongues the whole time. I, or I, you know, I don't travel well at the best of times. And we finally arrived in this town. And I was sick. I was scared. I was exhausted looked to see where we were and it was like a wild west town there was literally no one there it was like tumbleweed um it was so remote this town that the whole journey we probably only passed two other vehicles chankany is a town a population of 500 people so it's totally remote from the rest of the rest of the province spiritually there's a tiny church there of about four or five people then. Um, very dark, very dry spiritually. Um, there's a lot of alcohol abuse that goes on, a lot of domestic violence, even incest goes on among family members. It's a real dark place. And I kind of got out and, and Paul said, well, we're going to have to stay here the night now. So I, I'm looking at where I'm sleeping on the floor of this house, no toilet, no running water. And I'll be really honest with you, I was not worshipping Jesus at that moment in time. <clears throat> so he said, well, now we're here, we might as well have a meeting tonight in the town square. So I thought, okay, well, it's not so bad, you know, preach to a few hundred people. I said, how many's going to come? He said, well, there's about four people in the church. So now I'm even more mad. I thought, well, if we go down this way for three hours. So I remember sat in the back of Paul's Jeep words came like the spirit. I said, God, why on earth have you brought me here? 
As I said those words, I looked up and there was this young woman across the road called Barbara. She was in her early 20s. And the moment I saw her, God said, I brought you here for one reason. I got out of the car and said, well, who's she? He said, that is the daughter of one of the leaders of the church. She went away from God years ago. She had a child outside of marriage, and now she's engaged to be married to another guy. Neither of them had anything to do with church. But God had just spoken and said that her parents had been praying for years that she'll come home. So I went up to her. I said, through the translator, are you coming to the meeting tonight? She said, oh, I don't think so. Well, all that day across, I was praying that she would leave. And I said to God, God, tonight I will preach like I'm Reinhard Bonke, preaching to a million people in Nigeria. If you will just give me one verse. And that's all I felt as I prayed. I felt that one verse. And she said, I want to pray so set up, it was a big crowd, there was about 10 people there, and I preached with everything I had. The first person to respond to the altar call was Barbara. The second person was a fiancé. Both of them were just repenting, the power of God was touching them and all of that. And we were just prophesying over them and ministering to them. About an hour later, we'd finished, and everyone had gone home, it was pitch dark, there was no street lights, nothing. And everyone's in the van saying, come on, come on, we need to go. So I get to go in the van and suddenly I felt this tug at my shirt. I turned around, there was this middle-aged lady in the van. She's going like this, pray for me. So I just kind of pushed her away naturally and just said, I'm going to touch her in the name of the Lord. Just do it in Jesus' name. That woman, she was called Cecilia, it's called Cecilia. Uh, she'd been deaf and mute from birth. And as we just laid hands on her and spoke, the power of God came upon her. Both of her ears popped open. She heard for the first time in her life. Her tongue was loosed, and the first word she ever spoke was the name of Jesus. Chankany had been in a six-month drought. There had not been one drop of rain. As soon as I got in the van and shut the door, there was this lightning crash, and it rained the whole night long. And as I was... Lying in bed, couldn't sleep because the rain on the tin roof. And I said, God, wow, that was incredible. We've, we've seen, you know, a drought end. We've seen a woman deaf mute from birth healed. And God spoke to me and said, I've done those miracles because you were willing to preach just to see one person saved. And God spoke these words to me and said, if you will be always willing to go anywhere just to reach one person with the gospel, signs and wonders will follow in history. See, friends, many times we want the power. We want the miracles. But are we willing to go? You know, last year we went back to Argentina and we went back to Chankani. This time we were there two nights. The first night, Barbara was leading the meeting. She's now the youth leader in her dad's church. Totally changed. And that first night we had about 20 people turn up. And the power of God just started moving in people on the street. People were falling out from the power of God. The next morning, the woman whose house we were staying in came running in. She said, you'll not believe it. Everyone in town is saying that there's these visitors here with magical powers. I 
even have a good turn out. Well, that second night saw a hundred people give their lives to Jesus, which in a town of 500 is like over a fifth of the population. The whole spiritual dynamic changed, but it happened because of one person. Friends, I want to ask you this morning, who's your one? Who's the one person this morning who you can reach, who you can touch, who you can see changed? And maybe it can just bring great fruit to a region. Now, I want to close with this verse. In verse 35, it says, The people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Now, this is just how my mind works when I read the Bible, so forgive me. But when I read that, this thought came to me. Where did he get his clothes from? You ever thought about that? This guy's naked in the tombs, and it says he sat at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. Who knows, there's not a, you know, an Asda around the back. Where did he get his clothes from? Now, this is just my preacher's license. But I can only presume that Jesus and his disciples must have had a spare set of clothes in their boat. If anyone can think of a better explanation, tell me. That's the only one I can think of. Now listen, because we're going somewhere. As soon as this man was set free, probably one of the very first things Jesus said was getting some clothes to wear. Maybe even use this very expression. Bring the best robe put it on my son. You see, friends, Jesus doesn't just want to set you free. He wants to clothe you with power. You see, this man couldn't go and change a region naked. Friends, you cannot change a region unless you are first clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has garments for you to wear this morning. Now maybe, and again this is just my imagination, but maybe, just maybe, they were Jesus' spare clothes. And maybe that man went into the town that night dressed in the clothes of Jesus Christ. I don't know if he did or not. But I know you did. Because the Bible says we've been clothed with Christ. We've been clothed with his power. We've been clothed with his authority. We've been clothed with his anointing. And if it was me, if I was this man's pastor, I'd want to put him in a 12-month counseling program before he was ready to minister, to ready to do anything. But Jesus said to him, 
Have you got a story that qualifies you to change lives? Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.